Hey there, it's good to be with you. Uh, I'm going to be continuing the, the sermon series we're going through at the moment as a church, looking at the, the letter of Ephesians, which is in the Bible, written by um, one of the early church leaders called Paul to a church in Ephesus thousands of years ago. And we've been over the series um, so far, looking at chapters one to four. And now today I'm going to be looking at chapter five. And to start, though, I want to just talk, share with you a, a story um, about a girl called Evie. Uh, this, this, uh, this girl, Evie, she's a, an orphan in an orphanage, and there was this couple called Grace and David um, Farringdon, and they, they wanted to adopt. There were these two doctors who wanted to adopt a child from an orphanage, and they went through all the process and like, all the legal stuff that they need to do like, to, to be like, approved in order to adopt a child. And they, they heard of this child and they um, were interested in, in meeting this child and getting to know her and seeing if she's a child they want to adopt. And so they arranged to meet up and they arrived at the orphanage and they, they met her in this room. They saw her on this, um, uh, this chair and she was in a cute little dress and uh, Grace said, Hi, I, I'm Grace. This is my husband, David. Um, what's your name? And she was like, My name's Evie. And they asked her, how old are you, Evie? And she was like, I'm four years old. And they just started chatting and getting to know each other and learning stuff about each other. Um, and they were playing games and just having loads of fun. And what Grace and David soon realized was they'd been there the whole day, <laughs> playing games and chatting with, with Evie and having just a great time. And they just fell in love with her. And they just ended up having such compassion for her. Um, and, they, and they decided then and there they wanted to adopt her and make her become their child. And so they did all the stuff they needed to do, like all the paperwork and stuff, and it became official. Um, she became um, Evie Farringdon. She became their child. She was adopted by them, and she had a new home to look forward to and a, a bedroom to go back to at their house. And it was, it's a beautiful story of just how Evie's life has been completely transformed. It's been completely turned around. Like she, Her life's been revolutionized, um, through Grace and David adopting her, she's got a new life, a brand new life, a, a new identity, like so much so that her name has changed to Evie Farringdon. Like she's, she's, a, she's almost like a new person. She's adopted, she's, a she's no longer orphan, she's a child of Grace and David. And this is like the revolution that God's done in our lives, his people. Which this revolution that Paul explains in Ephesians one to three, this revolution of this life transformation where we are now we have a new identity as children of God, we've been adopted into sonship through Christ Jesus, and we are now, we are now Christians and we are uh, children of God. And and Ephesians four starts to talk about okay, what does life now look like? Now that we're Christians, now that we're children of God, how, how do we act as Christians? How do we live? How do we walk as Christians? And Tom looked at that last week um, in chapter 4, and I'm going to be looking at it today in chapter 5. Um, what does this revolutionized life look like? And so we start reading in chapter 5. It would be great to get a Bible um, and open up to Ephesians 5 if you have one. If you don't, though, that's okay. Um, you can follow along on the screen because I'll show um, the scripture up there and, and I'll read it through for us. So Ephesians 5, 1 to 20, it says, follow God's example, therefore. Now we need to stop there. 
Now, I know it's only been four words, <laughs> but when we see in the Bible the word therefore, that means we need to stop where we're at before we go on any further and read any more. We need to stop and we need to recall and remember what has come before the word therefore, because the word therefore is there for a reason, and that's the reason, to make a stop and make sure we understand completely and get what has just been said, because we won't understand what is about to be said unless we understand what has been said before. That's what therefore is there for. So when you see a therefore, stop and recall what has come before. And that's chapters one to four, chapters, particularly chapters one to three, where Paul has been talking about this revolution in our lives, that we've been adopted and we have a new identity as children of God. And Phil, a few weeks ago, was talking about how we need to um, sit before we walk. So before we do anything and live a certain way as Christians, we need to rest in the reality of what Christ has done for us. We need to rest in the reality of our new identity. We need to be secure in that. We need to rest in the finished work of Jesus that before we did anything to earn or deserve anything, God acted in our lives. God broke in. God took the initiative. And by his grace, by his compassion and his love, he, he saved us. He adopted us. Before we did anything to deserve, we didn't do anything to deserve it. We, it's not a reward, it's a gift. We need to remember that and understand that we have received this gift before we then start living as Christians. Because you see, so often Christians get it wrong because we, we put doing before being. So what we, how we view the Christian life is we think, in order to be a Christian, I have to do this and do that and don't do this and don't do that and live in this certain way. It's like we view it like a tree where the fruit of the tree, which grows from the tree, is is the, the identity as a Christian or as a child of God. And that the roots, the thing that gives, that sources that fruit and grows that fruit is what we do and how we live. But this is wrong. You know, behavior shouldn't root and be the source of who we are. Actually, relationship, being, you know, our identity is the source. So actually, the right way around of viewing things is the roots are the identity we have in Christ as children of God, adopted, beloved children of God. And then that fuels then how we live. That's the, that grows the fruit, which is the doing and the, and the not doing and living this way and not living that way. This is the right way around. And the reason why I'm saying this, as well as off the back of what Phil has been talking about, and I think even what Tom talked about last time, is the reason why I'm saying this and emphasizing this again is because Paul emphasizes it again. At the start of chapter four, Paul says, therefore. And at the start of chapter five, he says, therefore. And it's because Paul wants the Ephesian church to get this into their heads, because so often Christians don't get this right. And we just need to really hear this time and time again. Um, so that's why I'm saying it to you again. And this revolutionizes our life, our Christian life, when we get this. When we get this the right way around. Um, so who are we? Well, chapters one, well, chapter one says that we are adopted into sonship through Christ Jesus. So meaning like we are now children of God. We are, God's our dad. He's our heavenly dad. And that's the reality for us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done in our lives. And then chapter two talks about how we were once dead spiritually, but now we're alive spiritually. God has made us alive. He has given us a new life, a brand new life to live. And then 
chapter 3 mentions how we're now on the receiving end of God's awesome and epic love for us. We're on the receiving end, not the rewarding end, the receiving end of his love for us. We are adopted and we have a new identity. We're children of God the Father. We are beloved children. And then Paul says, therefore, follow God's example as dearly loved children. Like, we're called to imitate God. God's our father, our heavenly father, our parent. <laughs> and what do children do? Children follow the example, they imitate, they copy, they share in the likeness of their parent or carer. That's what children do. It's a very natural thing. It's how it works so often. And we're the same. If God's our heavenly father, therefore we should imitate him. We should imitate him. So you see, for me, I'm... Well, when I grew up as a young child and as like in my early teens, I watched my dad sing, play guitar, and uh, lead worship music at church. I saw him do that. And guess what? Today, I'm a worship music leader. I lead people in, in songs of worship, and I play guitar, and I sing. <laughs> like, I'm doing exactly what he used to do. And I never made a conscious decision I'm going to be like my dad, though that can be the case sometimes. But actually, I just saw him do something, and I ended up doing the same when I was older. And I became like him in that way. And I, th I think it's just, it's just so natural for that to be the case. So often, we imitate our parents, and so we should imitate our Heavenly Father and follow his example. And this is our new life. This is how it looks to be a child of God to have a new identity. This is what our life as Christians should look like. It's why I'm calling this sermon series, um, not, sermon, 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 yeah, not this sermon series, but this sermon, <laughs> the reason why I'm calling, it, uh, I'm calling it like father, like son, it's like we're meant to be like our father. You hear that phrase quite a lot, like father, like son. You know, you see a father in a son and you see a son in a father, like they share in something. And we are to do the same with God. We're to imitate him and be like him like father, like son. And this is what our heavenly father is like. Paul describes him in Ephesians 5. Now you might think, wait a second, no he doesn't. Paul doesn't describe um, God in Ephesians 5 because he's talking about us. He's talking about, okay, how do we live as Christians? He gives do's and don'ts and th ways in which we should act and ways we should not act. And you're right, and it is about that, but I think he's also describing God because the logic goes that He gives a list of ways in which we should live and act straight after saying we should imitate God. So he's saying, like, imitate God, and this is how you then imitate him. And therefore, if this is how we imitate God, therefore God must be like this. And so he is describing God, and I know that's quite a unique interpretation, potentially, for some of you. Um, but I think it's got some legs. So we're going to go through this. Um, verse by verse, not the whole chapter, but most of it, and just look at, okay, what is God like? What is God like? So Paul starts by saying that we should walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God became a human being, fully man, fully God, 2,000 years ago, and 
This man was called Jesus, or known here as Christ. And he did everything in love. Everything he did was loving. Everything Jesus did was loving. He either loved God or he loved people. And then he, out of his love, in his love, he was willing to give up his life, to sacrifice himself on a Roman cross out of love for his father by obeying his father and bringing glory to his father, but also out of love for people by making a way for us to be saved and adopted into his family and have this revolution come about in our lives. And so we should be the same. We should imitate God. We should do what he does and we should walk in love. We should do everything we do in a loving way. Doing good to others. Loving God, honoring him. And we should be willing to, in our love, be sacrificial in how we live. We should be ready to give up things. Though it hurts and it's loss, we do it because of love, because that's what Jesus did. He then says, But among you there must not be any, even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. You know, God is completely moral. Like he's, he's morally perfect. He doesn't do evil things. He does what is good and what is right. He's not sexually immoral. Like, there's no, and he's pure. He, he doesn't, he's not impure. He's the opposite of impure. He's pure. He, he's complete. He's whole. There's no defect. There's no, like, hint of darkness or evil or wrong in him. There's no error in him. There's no spot on him. There's no blemish. He's completely white as snow and like light. He's, he's pure. And he's not greedy. And, you know, these things are improper for God's holy people, which Paul kind of subtly saying, well, not subtly, I think he's quite obviously saying that this is not proper for God. These things are immorality and impurity and greed. They're anti-God. They're, like they have, they're nowhere near like God is. Like God is nothing like those things. He's like they're improper. They don't go with him. They don't match God's character. They're the opposites. And Paul's saying this should be the same for us, God's holy people, that we should imitate him and be like him. And therefore, these things should not have anything to do with us as God's people. And then he says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. God is always wise of his words. He's never foolish. He never makes like, foolish errors with his words. He always brings life with his words. He, always, he never brings destruction. Uh, like, uh, he, he brings life. He brings life and justice and what is right. He does what is right with his words. He, he never has foul language. <laughs> he never like, speaks in foul, disgusting, way, ugly ways. Um, he's pure in his words. and he do, He's not inappropriate. <laughs> He, whatever he says is always truth and it's always appropriate because he's wise. He's not foolish of his words. He thinks about what he says and often we don't. And so we're called to be like him. To, we're called to you know, have purity in our words and our language. We're called to be appropriate of our language and how we use words and how we speak. We're maybe wise. We need to think about what we say before we say it. Slow to speak quick to listen, all that wisdom. 
And then he says, for this can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. What he's saying there is the greed and the immorality and the impurity are like evidences of a root issue, which is idolatry. Idolatry is where somebody doesn't put God in his rightful place. So God is worthy and deserving of being on the throne of someone's life. To be the king, to be the boss, to be the leader, to be the lord of someone's life, to be the master. He deserves all the affection. He deserves all the praise. He deserves all the glory. He deserves all the honor. And idolatry is when someone doesn't give him that. When he's not their king. And God never commits idolatry. God always puts himself in his rightful place. He views himself as the greatest, most valuable being in the universe. He puts himself on the throne of heaven. He views himself as he should view himself. And for us as his children, we should do the same. We should view him as he should be viewed, as he deserves to be viewed. He should be the king of our lives. And if he's not, we're committing idolatry. And what Paul's saying is, if you are an idolater, you don't belong in God's kingdom. Because if God has a kingdom, and therefore he's the king of that kingdom, if you don't acknowledge him as king, you're therefore not in his kingdom because he's the king of his kingdom. <laughs> so we have, to under, we have to acknowledge that in order to be in his kingdom. And if you say you're a Christian, you're a child of God, but you don't actually acknowledge him as king, I don't know if you actually are a Christian or you're a child of God. So there's a challenge there to make God your king and be part of his kingdom. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. God doesn't get deceived. He doesn't get tricked. He knows what is right and wrong. He knows what is true and what is false. And he can't be influenced wrongly by anybody else. <laughs> Um, he's the boss, he's the king, he knows all things. Um, so you can't trick him, <laughs> you can't deceive him, you can't cover things up and hide things from him, he sees all things. And he's a god of wrath. He hates evil, he hates wrongdoing, he hates what is dark and, and not right and not good. He hates that stuff, he hates injustice. He loves justice. He loves what is good. He loves what is pure. He loves what is right and righteous. He loves it, but hates the opposite. And he deals with the opposite. He deals with that which is wrong. And those who disobey him and those who are um, disobedient and rebellious against him, that is an evil. That is a wrongdoing. And therefore, God is going to deal with that. And so we should also hate injustice. We should also hate evil and impurity and wrongdoing. We should love what is good, what is right, what is pure. We should love those things like God does. And we shouldn't be deceived by those who you know, um, want to trick us in, in, in various things. We should know what is true and hold on to what is true and what is right. And we should fight for justice we should fight for what is good. We should strive for that. Strive for being obedient. Let's be obedient to God because he loves obedience. And we love our Father so we, and he knows what's best for us. So let's 
just listen to what he says because he knows what's best for us. And he says, therefore, do not be partners with them. So like God doesn't partner with evildoers. He doesn't do, he doesn't join in with all that stuff. Like he's right, he's good. He can only do what is right and good. And so he doesn't take part in doing what's evil and wrong and ugly and disgusting. Um, he doesn't get peer pressured. <laughs> um, so therefore, we shouldn't get peer pressured into doing what is wrong. We should be different from the rest of the world. Um, then he says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. God is like light. He is pure. He, is without, he has no hint of darkness in him. He is beautiful. He is stunning. He is gorgeous. <laughs> he brings life. And there, if, if, therefore, if that's God we, and we're his children, we should also be like light. Doing the same as him. And the fruits of light, Paul says, is goodness, righteousness, and truth. Like, doing what is right is a sign of being light, <laughs> of being pure. No, do it, no, being good, goodness, God, and, and, and telling the truth. Like, we shouldn't lie. We should tell the truth always. We should do what is right, not what is wrong. We should do what is good, not what is evil. And we should do this because God is these things. God does these things. God is, never lies. Never lies. Always tells the truth. It's a lie to believe that everyone has their own truth. That's not true. <laughs> there is one truth. God is truth and he defines truth. Um, that's true. Um, that's the truth. So we should be the same as him. And we should find out what pleases the Lord. God knows what he wants. He knows what he what pleases him, what makes him happy, and he does it. And we should do the same. We should discern, okay, what does God want? What's his will? What, what pleases him? Because I want to do what pleases him, because I want to please him. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to live that out. And then he says later on, be care very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Like, God is infinitely wise. He knows exactly what to do and how to do it. <laughs> he knows exactly what to do and how to do it. And he says, and Paul says that, therefore do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. God's never foolish. He's wise. And so we should be wise like he is and seek to share in his wisdom and receive his wisdom as well and not be foolish like, he is fo like, like other people are foolish. Like God is wise and so we should be like God. And discern God's will, understand his will. Again, we should know what pleases him, what he wants. And we should want to do it because we love him. And he's our dad, who we look up to and know that what he wants is best. This is our heavenly father. This is our heavenly father, people. This is our heavenly dad. And just, just think about it, like, isn't he, a, isn't he beautiful? Like, isn't he amazing and stunning? He's glorious and wonderful. He's so great. This is our Heavenly Father. This is our Heavenly Father. And we should imitate him. It's a big call, eh? <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's not easy. Paul never says it's easy. We should follow his example like his children. We should copy him, imitate him. You know, the main way in which children 
copy and imitate their parents is through watching them, through beholding them, seeing how they do stuff, and then they do it as well. They copy. And so for us, if we want to be more like God and imitate him and, be, and show his beauty through our lives and follow his lead, we should behold him as much as we're able to. We should get to know him. We should watch how he does things. Like we should get to know his character more and more and more. And you'll find that naturally you'll start to become more like him because the Bible says that as we behold him, we become more like him, changed from glory to glory. So we need to behold him. So just take a moment to behold him. Take a moment just to think about God and his beauty. Try your best to comprehend him. Let me think of some of the stuff we've just talked about from Ephesians 5. Just behold him for a moment. You know, it's really important just to emphasize that this is It's, it doesn't make sense when a child lives like an orphan. It doesn't make sense when a, a, uh, a free person lives like a slave. It doesn't make sense when a doctor lives like an accountant. It doesn't make sense when a living person lives like a dead person, right? And it's the same for us as children of God. If, if we are children of God, it makes no sense to live in any way other than how children of God live. And Ephesians 5 is all about how children of God live. Like father, like son. That's what we should be. And in my story, I've been a Christian for 10 years now, roughly. And when I look back over my 10 years, I know it's a correlation as I have got to know God better and better as his child, like a child looks up and watches their father or mother or carer, as I've done that with God over the last 10 years, I've noticed that at the same time as that happens, I do become more like him. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I have a long way to go yet, a long way. I haven't fulfilled Ephesians 5 yet, but... I've noticed that I, I'm gradually becoming more like my father as I've got to know him better. Beholding him really does work, trust me. Uh, it really does. And you see, when I, became a, when I was adopted 10 years ago as a child of God, I didn't immediately become in my lifestyle perfect, like he is perfect. But what happened was, over the last 10 years, I've gradually become more perfect in my lifestyle like he is. And it's a big learning curve, you know? It's a big learning curve. You know, Evie will not be like her parents straight away, her new parents, but I suspect because they're both doctors, one day she'll be a doctor. It's likely, not certain, but it's likely, because that's how it works. That's how it works. But it's a journey, it's a life journey. It's not immediate. It's a learning curve which we go on And as we start to imitate God, 
as we start to be like father, like son, and be like him and share in his likeness, what happens is God makes himself visible to the world around us. You see, we are like, the church is like a mirror. The church is like a mirror. God's people are like a mirror. His children, his family, those he's adopted are like mirrors who reflect God's beauty. A mirror is not beautiful in itself. You know, it's not. It's not beautiful in itself, you know. It's a bit of plastic and glass, right? What makes a mirror beautiful is the beauty that's reflected in it. And God has made us, his children, he's made us into mirrors <laughs> who reflect his beauty to the world. When we fulfill Ephesians 5 and live like children should live, we start imitating God, we show him off to everyone else. You see, God is in- invisible, You can't see God. So he sent his son in human flesh 2,000 years ago, who is the image of God, to show God's beauty to the world. But then Jesus then ascended to heaven, and so we can't see Jesus anymore. We can't know him tangibly like the disciples did um, when he was on earth. But God has made the church the body of Christ, which means Christ is imaged in the church. You see God's beauty, Christ's beauty in the church. How we live, how we, are, how, how we act as a, as a body of believers shows Jesus off to the world. So it's not your beauty that people see in you. Actually, it's God's beauty they see in you. Because, you know, life isn't about you. I'm, I'm sorry to break that to you, <laughs> but someone has to. Life is not about you. Life is about God. Life's about Jesus. It's all about him, not you, not me, not the church. We were created, so therefore we're secondary, not primary, God's primary. We were created to bear his image, to image God to the world, to show him off. Because God's mission is to make himself known to the world, to all of creation. He wants everything to see how great he is and how beautiful he is. Because he's worthy of it. He deserves that because he is that beautiful. (laughs) To make his glory known around the world. And so he takes us, his church, he makes us to bear his image so that the world sees how great God really is. And that's how God's going to bring a revolution in this world we live in. He's going to bring a revolution to this world by using us to display his beauty as his children, as we start to imitate him and be like father, like son. This is how the revolution is going to continue to come about in the world as we display his gospel and his character. His glory, his mission will be complete. His glory will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. And I just want to end by just addressing those of you who maybe are feeling guilty or feeling like you're a failure, like you've just messed up. Like you say you're a Christian, you're a child of God, but you just have not lived up to Ephesians 5 and you feel guilty about it and you feel despairing about it. Stop. (laughs) Stop. Please stop. And go back to your Bible 
and read Ephesians 1 to 3 again. Because if you're feeling that way, you haven't got what has come before Ephesians 5. You haven't quite got it yet. So read it again and get it into your very being and just know it to be reality for you. And this, all this imitating stuff will come so naturally to you. And it's important to recognize, though, that we will fail. We will mess up. Like, it's good to recognize that and be humble in that. We're not going to get it right every time. That's a journey. But Paul offers some really good advice at the end of chapter 5. Let's go back to that. Um, it's not in the red. It's, it's just after the red highlighted verse. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Alcohol influences our behavior. And God's spirit, his presence, God himself, when he fills us, he influences how we act, how we behave. And so Paul's saying here, look, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with God because he will help you make the right decisions. He'll help you fulfill Ephesians 5. He'll help you imitate him more and more every day. He'll help you do it. And show his beauty off to the world. His spirit will help you. And the spirit does two more things. The spirit does, as as described in in Romans, Paul talks about how the spirit testifies of our spirit that we're children of God. He helps us know deep down in us that we are children of God by grace. That we can cry, Abba, Father. He helps us do that. He helps us be secure in our identity before we start living our lives out of that identity. And then lastly, he helps us behold God. He helps us know how great God is. He helps us see him and know him better and behold him. And as we said earlier, as we behold him, we become more like him. So the Spirit helps us become more like God, our heavenly dad. So be filled with the Spirit and behold God on a daily basis, whether that's through the Bible, whether that's through creation, whether that's through Worship music, Sunday services, or other people, friends, small groups in the week, Instagram accounts that post verses every day, you know, whatever it might be, like, behold him, get to know him. Pray, be, spend time with him, behold him through the prayer. And you'll see yourself become more like your Heavenly Father. And if you're not a Christian here today, there's an invitation which God's giving out to you saying, I want to make you my child. Receive it. Come to me. Receive the adoption I have for you. I want you to be my child. Become my child today. And receive it. Receive that gift for yourself.